Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are reviewing one of my all-time favorite movies, the 1994 Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. Nice. Now you may be wondering, (laughs) why are we doing The Mask? Well, it's very exciting because this marks the one-year anniversary of Flashback Flicks. One year anniversary. That's unbelievable. And to do the very first flashback flicks, um, a whole year, and I can't even say the title of the podcast (laughs) fluidly. Uh, But we started our very first episode with the Back to the Future trilogy, which is my favorite movies. And now for the one year anniversary, we're doing Ricky's favorite movie when he was a kid. It was an honor. This has been an honor and privilege, especially if it means I get to review the mask. I'm so excited about this. Oh, goodness. Okay, so, everyone, The Mask is a classic movie. On the off chance you haven't seen it, uh, here's a brief synopsis of it. When timid bank clerk Stanley Ipkiss, played by Jim Carrey, discovers a magical mask containing the spirit of the Norse god Loki, his entire life changes. While wearing the mask, Ipkiss becomes a supernatural playboy, exuding charm and confidence, which allows him to catch the eye of local nightclub singer Tina Carlisle, played by Cameron Diaz. Unfortunately, under the mask's influence, Stanley Ipkiss also robs a bank, which angers junior crime lord Dorian Dorian Tyrell, whose goons get blamed for the heist. I feel like that synopsis gives too much away. That gives a lot away. I also like that he's a junior crime lord, like there's a pecking order. <laughs> All right. Maybe one day you'll be a senior <laughs> crime lord. Like, you get like a crime lord patch. Just like, oh, I'm, I'm earning my bank heist badge. <laughs> Just has to go door to door robbing old ladies. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, this movie came out in 1994. Um, not many people I found out know this, but this was actually based off of a comic book by the same name. The Mask is a comic book uh, published by Dark Horse, um, which made a is famously known for making more darker comics, thus like the Sin City. Yes, absolutely, Sin City. Um, and the mask. So the mask. <laughs> Hellboy is another example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's not forget the mask. And son of the mask. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the mask comic book is completely different. Um, the main similarities are that they share the similar first protagonist. Uh, Stanley Ipkiss in the comics is a guy kind of like a regular Joe, except instead of being a really likable, lovable character, he's kind of a sociopath and he keeps on like gets, he keeps on getting pushed around, but he keeps on daydreaming about like getting his revenge. And then when he's buying, he's out buying a gift for his girlfriend, uh, he ends up buying the mask and he puts it on and he becomes the mask um but instead just imagine the entire movie but except rated r um it's way more violence like he just straight up 
goes on a killing spree, like as the mask, like big teeth, a big head. And in the comic series, he's known as the big head killer. Um, like that's his moniker, not the mask. Um, and the comic book series actually follows the mask and the different people who wear it. Mm. So that's kind of where the inspiration for some of the mask is like, Oh, well, who else wears the mask? So it kind of drew from the source material. Um, but that is why they had um, the director, Charles Russell, direct the film. Because originally they were going to make this a horror movie. This movie was going to be a horror movie. And Chuck Russell is famously known for directing Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. He also directed the 1988 remake of The Blob and The Scorpion King. Of the Mummy series. So the studios, New Line Cinemas, who uh, developed the movie, they were, like, looking to make it into a horror film. And then the mask would have basically been, like, the next Freddy Krueger. Like, they're trying to, like, franchise it out based off of this, you know, series. Um, But he fought valiantly, Chuck Russell did, to make the mask a comedy. Um, And there are several elements, including, like, starring Jim Carrey um, and having all these really big cartoon-like elements into the film. Because the comic book version of The Mask, as described by the Nostalgia Critic, I think puts it very perfectly. It's like Jekyll and Hyde mixed with the Looney Tunes and the Punisher. Like, (laughs) all of these issues are extremely violent, extremely graphic, and it's basically um, a cautionary tale of just, like, what happens when your innermost desires are kind of brought out and you're able to bring them out. And it's a complete departure from um, what we end up seeing in The Mask. And um, so much so that um, The Mask has actually inspired two different adaptation spinoffs. So here we go. So The Mask started as a comic book, got turned into a movie, which inspired a spinoff animated series, The Mask animated series, which stars uh, Rob Paulson of Yakko from the Animaniacs and Pinky fame. And, oh, and, and Fight Club. Uh, his name was Robert <laughs> Paulson. His name was Robert Paulson. Uh, no relation, ironically. Uh, and Raphael from the classic Ninja Turtles. Um, basically most of my childhood. Um, that was the animated series that lasted for about a season or two, which then spun off into its own comic book series. So there are two mask series called like the mask and then the adventures of the mask, which was a spinoff of the cartoon. And so it's just, there's so many different adaptations of the mask, like going from the super violent to the live action to like the animated series, which is more, kid friendly and um that's some history of it the movie was released uh july 29th and the budget that they were working with was 23 million it made 351 million dollars in the box office not too bad not too bad and if you think that's good oh man the vhs and laser disc were so good too uh, th- this is one of the first movies that I remember, like, relating to the character. Like, I remember watching this movie and I was like, oh, wow, Stanley Ipkiss feels like he can't be himself. I feel the same way, seven-year-old Ricky. Uh- <laughs> I hate my job at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I, like so this is one of those movies where i don't know if you did this as a kid but like you saw like really clever i well i saw very clever like lines and comebacks being said in movies i'm like oh i can't wait for someone to set me up to just say this perfect line and that line for me in that movie was um when he says uh oh and a picture of lieutenant carl or uh, yeah lieutenant carlisle's wife what you animal i'm gonna kill you what i thought you had a sense of humor after all you married her i was like all right i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait for someone to like insult me or do something and i'm gonna have this perfect reference it never happened spoiler alert um but that vhs i watched so many times um but yeah so the movie was released on vhs and laserdisc for all you laserdiscers out there um it was released on Laserdisc, and the VHS version included an interview between Jim Carrey and Space Ghost as a coast promotion. To coast? coast to coast. Uh, it was like a promotional thing from the uh, sibling company, Cartoon Network. And the movie was released on Blu-ray in 2008, which I currently own and watch pretty regularly. It's so good. The Blu-ray has a commentary, um, an extra featurette that talks about like the production of the movie um, in some more depth. And they have like a whole featurette about Milo, the dog, who was just so incredibly talented. And they, they go all into like this whole world of um, animal actors who, and all the stunts that they're able to pull. Like, uh, that's, yeah. Anyway, it was a smart dog. I mean, and that so dog smart. was like the bug hall of the dog world at the time. Oh yes, absolutely. It's like, where's that dog now? Mm. Well, I, mm, actually, we probably know, don't we? Yeah. Mm. Well, <laughs> I knew I was in trouble when I made a bug hall reference. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I have been yammering on about history, about this movie. Uh, we will get into the review very shortly, I promise. I just love this movie so much, and I think the history and the production of it is so interesting. Um, a couple of fun facts for you. Grayson. Yeah, Ricky. Hey, you know the interior shot of the garage where Stanley Ipkiss was ripped off by the mechanics? Oh, I sure do. That was the same location as the firehouse from Ghostbusters. No way. Yeah, that's so, very cool. Th- I, I share that mainly for some future headcanon, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, this is Cameron Diaz's first big break. Uh, she was uh, Tina Carlisle, and I, I did not realize that for years because like, Jim Carrey was one of the few actors who like I knew as an actor, and pretty much everyone else was just like a person. As a kid, but like when I got older, I was like, wait a second, why do I know this girl from Charlie's Angels? She was in the mask? Yeah, in the credits, it actually says introducing Cameron Diaz, Mm -hmm. which is typically reserved for children. Right. I don't know. They did it. Yeah. I mean, it was her big, big break into the industry. And and Jim Carrey, this is like one of his trifecta movies. He did this movie right before... Um, Ace Ventura was actually released and that was the one that kind of like got him out in the industry or like got his um, personality or let me say it like this that was his bigger break movie uh, Ace Ventura mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then this movie was already in product or in post production, and so when it got released, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, that guy from Ace Ventura," and he like did Dumb and Dumber, he did Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, and Ace Ventura all within like the same like year, basically. Oh my goodness, yeah. So we have this is really interesting. We have done three Jim Carrey movies on the podcast. Um. Oh, did yeah. The Mask, did Man on the Moon. Yeah, Truman and, Show. And Truman Show. So with Ace Ventura, Pet Detective being in 94, then he did The Mask, then Dumb and Dumber, then he was the Riddler in Batman Forever, mm-hmm. then he did Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, The Cable Guy, Liar Liar, The Truman Show, Simon Birch, and then Man on the Moon, Me, Myself, and Irene, The Grinch, I mean, these are just like back to back to back to back. He was doing it. And then I'm not including the TV stuff, but he did the Majestic after the Grinch, then Bruce Almighty, mm-hmm. uh, and then Eternal Sunshine, a series of unfortunate events, fun with Dick and Jane, number 23. I mean, it's like his whole yeah. film career, he didn't miss. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, he has he has film perfect attendance. <laughs> like every year active and he he was he was like the guy back in the day i know we did um a megathon uh back in february and meg ryan was like the it girl and jim carrey especially if you're doing a comedy was like the guy and um in this movie in particular i love so much because um as a kid this was like one of my favorite movies and when i told people that they're like oh I can't believe you like this movie. If you could handle all that overacting, I'm just like, no, guys, you you did not see the same movie I did because <laughs> one of the reasons why they got Jim Carrey is because of his range. Because you have him playing Stanley Ipkiss, this guy who is supposed to be like an everyman, and then you have him playing the Mask, which is this huge, larger than life, um, like cartoon, like live action cartoon, like. <laughs> The director is stated several times that they saved so much money by casting Jim Carrey just because of his movements and they didn't have to animate as much (laughs) because he was just already like a rubber faced cartoon human. Um, And and I just I love that I, I, I Jim Carrey in his talent. I feel like this movie shows. Uh, a good balance of the extremes of what he can do. Cause like you felt for Ipkiss for, at least for me, um, I, I felt for him. Like when he was trying to, um, do the right thing, like you saw that he was good natured and good hearted. Like he was, he finds the mask because he thought he saw someone like drowning or like out in the, in the lake. He's like, Oh my gosh, let me go help this guy. Like he was trying to be, a good guy, and then he happens upon this mask, and oh gosh, I just, I can geek out of this movie all day. But let's go ahead and go officially into our reactions. So Grayson, what did you think? So this movie has a special place in my heart, because when I was about five years old, I don't know if the math works out on that, but when I was little, mm-hmm. um, I saw the trailer for The Mask, and I really wanted to see it. I was like, Mom, Dad, I got to see The Mask. But my parents were very firm on the rating system. Mm. And like, it's PG-13. You can see it when you're 13. 
And so as a kid, I was like, The Mask is going to be the first PG-13 movie I ever see. It didn't end up going that way. But that's <laughs> how I always associate it, being like, I just can't wait to be 13. So one, I would become a man in the Jewish community. And two, I get to see The Mask. Yes. And it's like, I held on to that for years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it has a it has a fun spot in my heart. Um but seeing it again, so much I didn't understand when oh, I man. saw it the first time. Yeah, I got that mahogany joke. <laughs> She's like, "Ah, oh, most men think that uh monogamy is a kind of it's a kind of wood." Like, <laughs> I'm like, "Oh yeah, I didn't get that joke." <laughs> At all. <little> word play. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah. so what did you notice that you didn't before? I think um I mean it was stuff like that. It was also just like innuendos uh that he makes when he's the mask. Mm-hmm. Um like the style of music that I guess that's that's in it. Um yeah. and how it how it plays into the personality. I, I thought it was just like a fun dance sequence before, but then knowing more like cartoon history and like the cartoon that he's watching um tex avery yeah. yeah it's like he is the tex avery cartoons is like that makes a lot of sense and actually appreciating his influences mm-hmm. um whereas like when dorian puts the mask on he's very much a model of like the old school gangster movies mm-hmm. um and to bring that out uh i thought it was really interesting just knowing the references it changed the way that i looked at it yeah. Uh, yeah. And then also seeing the, the archetype of um of Cameron Diaz's character, uh of Tina coming in and be like, Okay, she's like Jessica Rabbit, she's mm-hmm. like basically any of those kinds of film noir uh, uh Femme house. Yeah, it's like she walked into my office kind of deal and um she was up to no good, but then yeah. like she actually has a heart of gold, like that whole kind of thing. I just I had so much more context and history watching it this time than I did before. Oh, totally. Yeah, I would say this time I think because I like I said I've seen this movie tons of times. In fact, I might have said this before in the podcast, but like as when I was younger, when I couldn't sleep, I would just close my eyes and just play the movie in my head. Like that's <laughs> how well I knew the movie. Um, but I think the thing that I noticed this time was the setups and payoffs throughout the movie. Like when Milo when he, like he's like, I'm late, I'm late. Milo find the keys. And Milo like finds the keys for him. And so it that's the setup. Like Milo helps and he can go fetch things. Yeah. And so then when he's in the jail cell, hey Milo, find the keys. No, not the cheese, the keys. <laughs> One of my favorite moments in that and then his hesitation, just like when he pauses and he's like, wait, uh, okay, and he goes. In. Uh, why wouldn't you want the cheese? But the, it's cheese. It's good. Yeah, I just uh I, I, I those little moments, and then even, um, I don't even think I got from the movie originally as a kid, just because like I don't understand how heists work. Um, I didn't. I don't think I realized that Tina Carlisle. Uh, she went in to infiltrate the bank. Like, I don't think I got that. She, the reason she was there was to be, like, an inside man kind of thing. I was like, oh, I completely missed this, like, every other time I saw this movie. Yeah, and so it makes sense then when she kind of, like, ignores Richard Jenny to go, like, I want him to help me. I was like, well, that was really 
weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh, it's because it has the right perspective for her to turn the camera at the vault. Right. Because um, otherwise, it was like, that was a strange choice in the mm-hmm. kind of forest. One interesting thing about this movie that I, I don't think I connect. I feel like I might have connected in before in the past. But, like, this movie predates the release of Hercules. Hmm. You might think, oh, well, okay, th- thanks for a timeline history, Ricky. The marketing of this movie was from zero to hero. Like, on oh, the poster. Really? <laughs> yeah, on the poster, it says, The Mask, from zero to hero. Like, that was the big marketing campaign. And Who'd have thought? <laughs> and no time flat from zero to hero. Just like that. Disney, please do not sue this. I'm so sorry. Oh, man. They're going to... They're going to drink our milkshake now. <laughs> I drink your RSS feed. I drink it up. Oh, my goodness. The people who made there will be blood. No! Please don't sue us now. <laughs> Please. Uh, okay. So there are several deleted scenes in this movie, including an opening scene where a bunch of Vikings just show up on the shore. They're like, hey, we got to bury this thing. Like, we're burying Loki's mask, and it's very clear that it's Loki's mask. Um, And then it cuts to Edge City current day when they're, like, looking, breaking that whole uh, lock. Um, Mm. And I would love to have seen that. Right? Yeah, you can actually watch the deleted scene online. Just look up uh, the mask deleted scene. Yeah, there's another one where, um, the another scene where Peggy actually um, does die in the movie, but be, but in a cartoonish way. It's one of Dorian's first uh, acts as the mask is to kill Peggy. There's also another deleted scene where Stanley, after he gets the mask, is robbed by those street thugs and they take his watch, which is why the scene where um, his... Um, landlord's like, do you have any idea what time it is? He's like, well, actually, no. It's because he doesn't have a watch anymore. Oh. Yeah. That was just sass. It was sass. It was also sass because he just got bugged. So then there's that also payoff scene where those same guys who's just like, hey, bud, you got the time? He's like, actually, I do, buddy. It's a Look at that. It's approximately six seconds before I honk your nose and pull your underwear out of your head. Bell rings, pulls the underwear over, Pushes him over. Come on. Ducks into the alleyway. Step right up. Step right up. Everybody gets a balloon animal. Move it. Like, like I said, I have this movie to memorize. Wow. Uh, that's also you're, you're a scene. Like, you're like the bug hall of remembering this movie. <laughs> uh, that's a uh, fun fact that uh, that whole balloon animal scene is also another uh, nod to the comics like that's an actual scene except for he doesn't just like scare them off he murderifies all of them um but yeah stanley Ipkiss, not a good man in the comics Hmm. which i think was a stronger choice because especially um when you are going to do a comedy and having jim carrey in the movie him being like the likable protagonist is such a smart move because um, you could do it as like a horror movie, but like you can't have him be like as likable and lovable as him. Cause like, man, like that was because like he watched cartoons, he was like trying to impress this girl and oh man, like I feel like the, the time when he, uh, when he pulled up to the club and like everything was going wrong, 
Um, I don't think I felt it like that empathy for him as much before. Um, but I'm like, oh man, I get it, man. You're just trying to do the best you can. And yeah. Everything's just going wrong. You're just trying to, you're just trying to be somebody. I get it. Like, oh. So I want to go somewhere where we can be somebody. <laughs> get plugged into the social pipeline. Yeah. Fun fact, actually, there is a Coco Bongo that Jim Carrey actually owns. Like, that's like. Oh. Other fun fact, he actually owns the bongos of Andy Kaufman. <laughs> he does. Oh, they're congas, but it didn't fit with what you said. Oh, we're so close. We're so close. Coca Conga. You know, the Coca Conga. Um, the movie for me has just over the years continued to be one of my favorite movies because it's, I feel like it's one of those movies that you can watch multiple times and get different things. Um, mm-hmm. I think one time when I watched it, I want to say over the last two or three years, I really got the superhero element of it. Um, It's one of the best, like, superhero origin stories, Um, especially if you were to continue to go on being the mask if you wanted to, like the animated series kind of plays into. Because in the animated series, um, there are loose allusions to the mask happening, uh, the movie happening. But he basically starts becoming a superhero. He's like, hey, I'm actually going to be a superhero. And when he puts on the mask, he is a superhero who fights this villain who is trying to get the mask from him. Um, But, like, the movie, he just puts on the mask and he starts becoming all these elements that we've started to see before. Like, he's more confident. I don't know if you remember the scene where they honk at him right before he goes into the auto shop, but they honk at him. He's like, what? And they're like going to run him over. That was a setup for when he had that. I think he's trying to communicate. That that whole thing. I was like, oh man, they're just, he's, he's handling all of these situations the way he would have liked to with, um, granted with some carelessness and with some repercussions, but like with confidence, um, and, it was just so cool to just see those direct parallels this time around. And not only that, but we just see like what abilities he has. And he's like, Hey, with these powers, I could be a superhero, fight crime, defend the innocent, work for world peace. But first, it is interesting that he's basically invincible when he's wearing it. Like he can absorb bullets and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. The mask is such a cool, like, superpower like that would be like i feel like if i were to have the mask i would basically be like sally of kiss um in the comics i want to say in the in the mask the return of the mask or the mask strikes back i want to say it's the mask the mask strikes back um it's a bunch of teenagers who get a hold of the mask and different all of them are like hey i want to be a rock star or one of them is like very geekily like i want to become a superhero and like he becomes like a superhero to like the 10th degree like (laughs) super like adam west batman era (laughs) superhero like gee willikers like he he breaks into a zoo and just starts putting all these animals in like super suits oh it's 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 great but yeah i i I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, this is the thing I didn't realize until I started doing his research, but, um, Jim Carrey is wearing like fake teeth 
um, when he is oh, the yeah, mask. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so the, the teeth on the mask were originally to be used for only, like, silent scenes. Like, when he has, like, a really big smile or something like that. But, like, Jim Carrey learned to talk with them. And, like, to make his character more wacky. Like, he learned to talk with the with the uh, teeth. And so he, like, he had way more... Uh, like he just had more of that character because in the comics, like those are the very big defining characteristics of the mask, a big giant head and these like giant, like window panes for teeth. Wow. Yeah. I just kept looking at his teeth being like, they're so white and straight and huge that they had to just fit over his, his normal teeth. Mm-hmm. And he wears a cap on his tooth anyway from where he chipped it. Because, mm. like, in Dumb and Dumber, that's what his teeth really look like. Like, they have the chip in it. For everything else, he wears a cap in there. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So he had a cap and then teeth over the teeth. That's insane. And I guess Jim Carrey's just is a glutton for punishment because he did the same thing um, with his eyes and the Grinch. Like, he had full ocular contacts that just were so painful <laughs> to wear. He he did say in an interview that the Grinch was the most grueling costume uh, makeup experience he had to go through. He's, he said that it was so long that he had to practice Zen techniques, and you could hit him in the face with a baseball bat by the end of it. He was such a Zen master. Wow. Uh, good old Jim. Willing to sacrifice... For the art is so much fun. Yeah, just like all his his expressions were just so cartoonish. Like we go back to Angels of the Outfield, like how um, the uh, the announcer was super cartoonish. Like Jim Carrey's like face would just like move into a position that I'm just like I've seen that drawn before. It's just so so good. Uh, I think you start to see uh, Jim Carrey's range in it, uh, and we'll get to reasons to recommend at the end of the show, but him coming off of Ace Ventura, you don't get a lot of that in Ace Ventura. It's kind of like go, go, go with him. Whereas mm-hmm. with this, people say like, oh, Jim Carrey then went dramatic later in his career. But I think there's touches of it in Stanley Ipkiss. Like, more than touches. There's a definite choice for that drama to be behind uh, the way that he talks to people, the sadness whenever he's like just alone in his apartment, um, and the escapism of the cartoon world. Um, I, I think there's a, a lot of that in his performance that people just didn't catch the first time around because they only see the cartoon makeup. Right. Oh, another thing. I watched it in HD, and I thought the cartoon effects and the makeup were going to just look like garbage. It holds up. I don't yeah. know what they did. That And that's that's a real testament to it. And that's what they got nominated for the Oscar for was the special effects. It's because you can't tell where one starts and the other ends. Yeah, Industrial Lights and Magic, um, the same people who did the effects for uh, Star Wars, uh, did the special effects for this. And at the time, it was one of their most complex um, projects to work on because they wanted to blend the reality uh, of him acting to animation to like back. And they just did so many things. That's another extra feature. I would... I, this feels like it could just be a commercial for the Blu-ray, but the Blu-ray has this really amazing uh, feature where they just talk about like the lengths to which they had to go in order to pull off these effects, and it was it was just 
amazing. Like it, it still holds up. Like it looks cartoony, but it looks like realistic. Like, um, or at the very least, believable. Like, oh yeah, if this were like a real life cartoon, this would be his expression. Uh, yeah, I just I I love that so much, and I'm I'm really impressed, especially with like if you look back at the scene with um, Milo as the mask like that's they only animated his head that's it the dog was still in there doing all of the effects they didn't just like completely replace him which is what i feel like they would do in a modern day um adaptation they would just like or i guess they kind of did somewhat of that with the son of the mask uh they oh. just completely replaced him but like that they the, they had the dog doing so many of those scenes and it was just so fun because it's they did a lot of what i feel like animation especially with like computer graphic um images uh, or generated images can do really well in movies it's just blend well together not one over the other um and this movie really just is a testament to like that standing the test of time now we're going to go to the part of the show called head cannon head cannon i think he wants to communicate um head cannon is the part of the show where we share our unique ideas and perspectives provided by evidence shown in the movies i've said this plenty of times but basically we come up with thought things based off of evidence provided by the movie um, such as the mask takes place in the same universe as Ghostbusters. Is that your headcanon? That's my headcanon. Also an example of what headcanon is, and it's also what mine is. Two for one. Bam. Uh, especially with that whole connection, like, oh yeah, that's the same place. My thought, my headcanon is that this is that it's the universe where um, the Ghostbusters actually disbanded. It's what I would have wanted the story of the Ghostbusters reboot to be that the Ghostbusters disbanded after a certain amount of time. They abandoned like their warehouse, uh, their headquarters and everything. And then someone else took up the mantle. But anyway, just, it's like one of those side stories that happens within the same universe, kind of like a rogue one I just wanted to mention Rogue One and be relevant. Hashtag Rogue One searchable. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of the the idea that the mask is haunted then. Is that what you're getting at? That's a, It's a haunted piece of like history and that's why it embodies them? No, but that's better. than what I, I just wanted it to take place in the same world. That's... I thought it was some kind of like paranormal totem then that was like transferring that personality trait. Yep. That's what that's what I always wanted it to be. <laughs> My headcanon is that uh, Stanley Ipkiss is actually the reincarnation of Loki, which is why he has such a special relationship with the mask. He just mm. doesn't know that that's who he is. Um, on top of that, Loki was said to be the father of Fenrir, which was a wolf. Um, so that would be Milo. Ah, there it goes. And then, uh, it begs the question, well, then who is Odin? And that would be Dorian because of the line, I hope you can enjoy the victory with one friggin' eye. Ho! 
that is some solid headcanon. That's great. <laughs> oh, such a great line. Uh, no, that's really, really good. And uh, I, I take it you haven't seen Son of the Mask? I have not. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, the movie has so many things that... Oh, doesn't Loki actually appear in that movie? The plot device is this. All right, all right, so so sit down. How do you know I do this podcast standing? <laughs> uh, call it podcast intuition. Uh, all right, so here's the thing. So it's like, hey... You know the mask and how they, they reference Loki? Yeah. What if we had Loki in the movie? Uh, I mean, sure, like, Loki tries to get the mask back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. We want it to be, like, something, like, fun and new. So, hear me out. The movie is about someone else who wears a mask. Okay, yeah, that, that's good. But they they make Whoopi while they're wearing the mask, which... Then creates a mask baby. And Loki is not only after his mask, but now his son. Because that that's that's the rule. Like when you wear when you wear the mask and you do the horizontal monster mash, it, it's like cool world rules. Like that's how that's how it works. Everything you just said <laughs> is science. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson Thank you for listening for all your scientific accuracies. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the premise of the sequel, which is why I think it didn't do as well, is because ultimately the mask is just a device that kind of propels all these other things forward. Mm-hmm. But like, but it's ultimately like a story about... Stanley Ipkiss becoming the man who he wants to be. Kind of like how time travel is just a device that moves these things into motion for Marty McFly um, and Back to the Future. Ultimately, it's about him becoming or him showing his dad the man he wants him to be and him ultimately becoming the man he wants to be. Um, And that's what it... But they made it just literally about the mask. Um, yeah. And they and they tried to make it about like oh father son things, but like I don't think they made Jamie Kennedy's character that likable, um, or even I don't think that they made his character as rootable as Jim Carrey's character, which I don't blame Jamie Kennedy for. I just think it was just a choice in writing that they made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, and they they're also just very heavily just wanted to do a movie with cartoon babies doing fairly creepy things. She's just like, say dada, mama, say dada, mama, say dada, mother. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun scene, but like, it's a CGI baby saying, it's like, uh, mother. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's another movie that kind of suffers from like having really great moments, but not like a great story to hold it all together um because mm. the final scene is ultimately like the mask versus loki um air budding the sun <laughs> this is like all right come to data and whoever got that reference congratulations you are our target demographic <laughs> uh but yeah um Going back into headcanon, why I brought that up in the first place is 
Um, my headcanon is that um, there are actually not one, but four masks. Interesting. So this is loosely based off of the animated series. So there is a version of the mask that they make, and it's, it's like the sister mask. I can't remember how they tie it into Norse uh, gods or anything like that. But it's basically, hey, there's a sister mask where if you wear it, you can be more in control of it or whatever. And someone actually used it to like control Stanley Ipkiss as the mask, and they use that to like control him and take over him, that sort of thing, so that they could then have the real mask. And so there's that mask, but I think that that, and then there's another one. I forget what it does, but it looks slightly different because the mask in the comic book is like this almost green, almost, uh, it looks more like a diamond encrusted or green rubied mask um, Mm. with white. It's not all wooden. Right. It's not all wooden. I think the wooden mask makes its first appearance in the movie um and oh. then in the cartoon in the animated series um it's also a wooden mask but there's no hard edge at the top it's rounded all the way around so i think that those are the three different kinds of mask and that the one that they had in each of those incarnations exists kind of in the same way but also that the one that jimmy kennedy got was a different kind of mask huh. interesting you bringing that up um uh, gives me the head cannon or Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because this is more like... But getting ahead of yourself in the head, cat? Getting ahead cannon of myself. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's all I, the head cannon I had, so that would be the great time for it. Great. What's this segment called, Ricky? Oh, Recast and Remake? Yeah, that's the one. Great. What what you got in recast and remake, Grayson? Oh uh, well, I, t- I just want to take a moment to say we have come so far in a year. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my uh, my recast and remake for the recast, I had a really hard time thinking of this because nobody can do what Jim Carrey does. Yeah. But uh, the two I came down to would be either Donald Glover, mm-hmm. I think it would be a great Stanley Ipkiss. Oh my goodness, or. Yeah. Uh, Bill Hader is the other one. Yes. I think Bill Hader would be an amazing Stanley Ipkiss for a remake. Yeah. Um, or, or recasting for the remake. But I would, uh, the thing I was going to say was that I love the idea of Ben Stein actually being the supervillain that uh, is behind all of this. And all of those masks that he has on his wall are actually imbued with different powers. Whoa. So that's why he tries to discredit it because he doesn't want anybody to catch on as to what he's been doing. He's like, it's a piece of wood, Mr. Ipkiss. Wow. Yes, ultimately Ben Stein is the the supervillain of the Mask universe. I love that so very much. That's really good. I, uh, man, that's good. I would love to see Bill Hader as the Mask. I would also love to see, because I would want them to actually franchise it a little bit in the way that they did with the books. Um, mm. I don't know. I, part of me really wants to see the horror movie version of it. Um, yeah. Like that. Cause like that could be, I mean, it's, it's going to be dark 
but like what the comic is like because the comic's good like, even though it's vi- like violent and really really dark it's still like good because it's this mystery like people are trying to it's still that kind of self-discovery story of just like okay well if left to my own devices like what choices would i make and also the mask kind of just like twists that and brings that out like even when people are trying to do good they like are understanding how their judgment is clouded by the mask Mm-hmm. And so I would love to see that. Like I could, cause there is a, um, Stanley Ipkiss's girlfriend is so far the only, um, female in the series, um, especially in the, or the first trilogy, I guess, um, to wear the mask. Oh. Um, so I would love to see, um, a lead female protagonist, like wear the mask either in some situation, um, or some, cause like, it's, it's, it's never about like the mask. It's just like, Hey, the big head, the big headed killer shows up, um, in these different circumstances. So I would love for the mask to just like m- make its way through. Oh, there it goes. I would love for it. It to be like a normal horror movie, right? Like just like a cliched horror movie. And then they just discover a mask and it's like one of those revenge stories where, uh, like the captor like puts on the mask and like gets this power and starts taking down the <laughs> their original captor. Like I would love for that to happen because in the Dark Horse universe, uh, the mask just shows up uh, just randomly. Uh, there's actually a a crossover where uh, I want to say the Joker wears the mask. That's weird. Right? Uh, there's like a Batman crossover. And, uh, and it actually just really mellows him out. Yeah, he's just like super chill. It's like He's like, hey, anybody want to go fishing this weekend? <laughs> I got a couple of poles and an ice chest. <laughs> this guy's in. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I would love to see that recast. Um, or, or, I, or I, sorry, I would say I would love to see that remake just in that different mm-hmm. tonal direction. Well, and if you were to do it like how the Dark Horse comics have a different story each time, it would be perfect for a Netflix original series <gasps> where every episode is a different story directed by a different director. Oh my goodness. Are you listening, Netflix? Netflix, obviously you are. <laughs> Netflix, please. That would be the best. It's just called The Mask. And maybe even it like starts with Jim Carrey in like episode one. And he just like, him and Cameron Diaz are like happily together and he's in edge city and he just like hear like he hears the news about like the mask happening so he's like oh well i gotta go do something and then he <laughs> comes back that would be the best uh, okay i'm gonna do some research i'm gonna see who has the rights to the mask and i'm going to start a very strong kickstarter campaign to make this happen and it will happen Mark my words, Netflix, this will happen. Yeah, I think that'd be a strong series. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You get some big names just to do one episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Uh, it's one episode. Just one hour. Oh, mm-hmm. that'd be so good. And then the mask just, like, they throw it out the window, lands in a garbage truck, and the mask just goes on <laughs> to the next city. Like, gotta stop throwing it in garbage <laughs> trucks. Oh, man. Here's what I would love to do. It just goes through every single Netflix original series. So it goes through, like, House of Cards. Uh, Orange is the new mask. <laughs> oh, yes. 
And now we are going to end our review with our reasons to recommend. Grayson, why would you recommend The Mask? I touched on it earlier, but it is the first time you get to see Jim Carrey play both sides of his uh, his range from the dramatic, but also, of course, the very over-the-top um, comedic cartoon exaggerated style that he's known for. But there are the glimpses of of drama in there that really make it interesting. And I always love seeing the first major film that an actor or actress is in. And for this movie, it's Cameron Diaz. Um, so to see like she came from there all the way to, to where she is now. Um, it's pretty interesting to see that dynamic. And from a, a VFX uh, standpoint, I mean, it's what it got nominated for. It still holds up even in HD and Blu-ray. Um, so it's a fun game too, just to like, look for the seams. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you find where reality becomes digital effects and, uh, and they do it very well, but I'd say above all of that, Milo, the dog, Oh, you're never yes. going to see a more brilliant dog on film yeah. other than maybe Airbud, Cause that dog can play basketball, <laughs> but Milo can fetch cheese, <laughs> which is a different kind of sport. <laughs> That's why we have to get Milo to do the Air Buds spinoff that we talked about before. Right. Taste Buds. <laughs> That's the one starring Milo on the top. It's a cooking competition. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I would recommend this movie um, for – I mean it's my, it's my favorite – it's one of my favorite movies for a reason. Like this movie is a superhero movie before the superhero genre was – as big as it is now um, with none of the devices that we're used to. I mean, you it's a, it's a one-off story that could continue on, but it also does really well on its own. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I don't think um, many, I I feel like most movies nowadays are looking to like franchise it out. But like this way that they set up the story is like, we, we saw Stanley's arc, like from beginning to end and we could be fine with that being the end of it. And just mm-hmm. like the mask being the device in which other characters can kind of have their own arcs. Um, it's done really well. And this movie is such a great example of how things can be adapted from like straight up like horror, basically, to a fun, lighthearted comedy. It's the same way that the Ninja Turtles were originally adapted. They were just darker um, it was still lighthearted, but it was still like violent and darker, but it got turned into this really fun franchise. And the mask is another one of those properties, um, that has not only a ton of potential, but has been adapted so many times. And I think it's just ripe for adaptation and it can be taken in so many different directions. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I could recommend this all day, but to be more concise, I recommend this movie because if you've ever, uh, felt like Stanley Ipkiss, you will love this movie. Like, I feel like you will enjoy relating to him and kind of seeing that, listen, you're a hero already. You're a hero already. Um, And Jim Carrey is just a delight to watch. And the whole city of Edge City is just so fun to watch. It's just like, I felt like I was watching like a live action cartoon. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. It, it walks that same line that Who Framed Roger Rabbit walks. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, 
it but it has that kind of superhero feel to it and for uh those of you who are really interested in story construction and screenwriting and all that, read Save the Cat and then watch this film mm-hmm. and it lines up almost exactly like minute for minute uh, just about. Yep. Um, but each of those stages are very clearly defined and uh, I think that's part of its longevity and its success. Yes, absolutely. All right, everyone. That is our review of The Mask. Let us know what you Remember from the mask what your favorite moments of the mask are so we can geek out together on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks and leave us a review. Let us know what you thought of this review on iTunes. Telling us uh, what you thought of this on a scale of uh, smoking with one S to <laughs> smoking with as many S's as you would like to cap it off at. And finally, we want to say thank you so much to everyone who has listened even once in the last year. Uh, this has been the highlight of our week each week, and we really appreciate the support that everyone's poured out. And we hope to keep doing this podcast long enough so that we can eventually be reviewing movies that come out this summer. Yeah. Oh, man. That would be fantastic. Yes, seriously. Thank you so much uh, for your your ears. Um just like taking our words and welcoming them into your sound brain. I've ruined this sentiment. No, I feel like what I said didn't really make sense. Like it didn't <laughs> land. I'm saying I hope we do this a very long time so that movies that are current now. Oh, I got will that. Be flashbacks. Okay. No, I got that. I just ruined it. I thought it by back and I was to... like, that doesn't make sense. Am I saying like I just hope we watch newer movies on this <laughs> flashback flicks? Uh, no, no. Like, I hope we do this long enough that Ricky lets me watch a new movie. <laughs> you signed the agreement at the beginning. You were only to watch movies from your past. Point is, we can't do it without all of you. Yes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and be sure to tune in right here next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until next time, remember to be kind and rewind. Rewind.